0: Okay, so we're, we're continuing our little experiment with these this chair table things, which I think also helps us with social distancing, because have you noticed that there keeps being gloomy news about COVID? Have you watching this? So, so far, we're going to continue to function as we have with the fully compliant to the law in the least restrictive way, um, but we're all living in anticipation of like, is the law going to change? So who knows? So stay where you're at for now, and of course, if you want if you choose to wear a mask, that's great. Um, or be vaccinated, whatever it is. But we're going to continue to try to obey all things in ways that aren't unnecessarily restrictive. So stay at your tables. Um, by the way, who, how many of you guys drink coffee? Man, so everybody except me. Okay. So Cal and I have made it like this far in life, and we don't drink coffee. Well, I think we're the last last adults in the world that don't drink coffee. Branda, you don't. Who else does not drink coffee? All right, there's a few of us. All right, that's good. Rookie, where'd it go? In Iowa. We'll start drinking coffee. It's just desperately cold at all times. Yeah, it'd be terrible. Well, listen, so I don't know if you guys know Jim. Is Jim even in the room? We have a gentleman named Jim who has been running our coffee ministry. Is it 26 years, Brian? 26 years. Okay. That's amazing. Um, Uh, But Jim is retiring from that, and so we're replacing him. Can you replace somebody that's done anything for 26 years? But if you are interested in helping helping with the coffee ministry once a month, once every two months, something like that, then Brian, dashing gentleman in the white robe back here, he will be, he's here now, but he'll be kind of out in this kind of, what do we call the foyer thing? This is a Christian word for foyer. I forget what it is. Narthex, that's it. Um, If you're interested in helping, that'd be great because how many hands went up? Y'all need your coffee. I know it's very painful for those of you that are addicted to it. So if you want to help feed people's addiction, keep show care, that'd be great. All right, here's what we're going to do today. If you were here the last two weeks, then you've already seen us do this for the New Testament. We're going to do it now for the Old. You have in front of you a quiz, okay? And we're going to take some, it'll be silent for about 10 minutes while you guys work on your quiz. You probably wouldn't be able to finish it, but I want you to go as far as you're able to go. Here's all I'm looking for. Here's all I need. You're not going to turn these in. But I would like you to know if you know your Bible. That's all. Okay? And if you're a brand new Christian and you look at these you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. This is why I'm here. Awesome. That's great. But if you've been a Christian for like 10 years and you're like, I got nothing. I don't know. Then I hope that what this quiz might do is be like, you know what? Actually, I don't know. But I'd like to know. And that can begin you on a new kind of angle in the journey to discover the same. Because as I've said a hundred times, it's full of treasure. God's word is full of treasure, and you can find it. You really can. But it would be helpful. So this is just for you. You're not turning this in. There's no shame or and there's no glory. Nobody gets to brag. Woo-hoo, okay. But this is just for you to be like, do I have any idea? What's up? First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, First Kings, Second Kings, and there's the other ones, and I forget which ones. ones. How does all that come together? Do you know? Would you like to know? If you, if, or if you wanted to say, find, if, you had, if I gave you your Bible and said, find me David and Bathsheba, what book? Do you have any idea what book you would go to? Or if you open up your Bible and you're like, I know there's that thing about, whatever, this, maybe, do you, how well do you have like the general map of your Bible? So this is, you get 10 minutes to kind of like make your case to yourself. What do I do know? What do I not know? 39 books, so it's kind of long, this one. And then in 10 minutes, we'll, we'll reconvene, and we will see what we know, and we'll talk about it. And, uh, and the hope is that while we won't, you're not going to acquire comprehensive knowledge here. We'll do this this week, next week, maybe a third week if needed. But I would love you guys to find this sense of like, I, I want to know what it says. I would like to be able to, in my mind, be like, okay, I know the difference between Numbers and Deuteronomy, I have some idea, what is the story arc of the book of Judges? Is that just a blank, is it just a black box to you? Okay, so, 10 minutes and go. All right. Is that good enough? Get you a start? Let's talk about it. So come on in and we'll see what you did. Okay, Ellen, you wanna say something? I, um, uh, chose Psalm 119. And it's about blessings and When you, you say you chose what do you mean you chose Psalm one nineteen? You mean that's just like a favorite of yours? Oh yeah, okay, that's great. And there's all there's all kinds of good good things that are delightful in here. Okay, but let let's start a little bit higher view than that. I want to give a little bit of context to this. So when I was a kid, I grew up in a church, it was basically like I don't know if anybody knew the gospel there. It could be that I was a child and inattentive. That's a category. But I think that if I were to go back there again, I would say, you guys never make the gospel clear to this church. But carved in the, there were two pulpits. And carved into one of them was the words Matthew and Mark. And then another was carved the words Luke and John. And so when I began to read my Bible years later in college, I was a college student at James Madison when I began to read my Bible. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John felt like home base to me. Like I'd heard of that. They were the gospels. They were somewhat accessible to me, but the absolute rest of it was, an, was a black box. I had no idea. If you had said to me, you know, is Romans in the Old Testament or New Testament? I, wouldn't, I have no idea. If you said to me, hey, what's Nehemiah about? i like, I don't even know there was a Nehemiah. It was all absolute darkness. And then slowly, slowly, slowly over time, through the simple and singular act of reading it, it started to light up. Right? And I began to go from profound, perfect ignorance to like a sense of like familiarity. And then it didn't quite seem so scary and inaccessible. And then, it, you know, just over time, layer by layer by layer, um, I've moved from a position of total ignorance to like general comfort. Like I could walk through this. It'd be like, you know, as you drive around Roanoke, perhaps, you might know, oh, I don't know where I am. We're near that or this. And it all makes sense, right? But if I just dropped you in like, you know, blammo, you know, Missouri, you'd be lost, right? What, 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 what I'm suggesting that we do, or that you do, is that you just build yourself a map. So that when I hand you this, if you look at this, you're like, oh, here's a whole stack of them, actually. So when you look at this, if you glance at this, you say Ezra. Now, is Ezra to you right now what it used to be to me? Which is like, I got nothing. I have absolutely no idea what's going on in Ezra. Or do you know that Ezra is about One thing. Return, return. It's a history book. It's about, yes. yes, returning to Jerusalem and rebuilding what? The temple. Okay. So Ezra, just in general, so Ezra is, if you look at Ezra's Ezra is a book about the Israelites returning back into the land, rebuilding the temple. It's after they got their butts kicked by Babylon and they're finally coming back into the land. That's all the specificity, specificity we need. Ezra is about the return of the land. Now, there's, there's multiple things going on everywhere, but that's what that's about. When you look at this, are you able to say, I don't know, pick a thing, uh, Hosea. What's the de- Hosea's one of these 12 minor prophets is weird. Again, is Hosea like, I got nothing. I don't know what that's about. Or do you know that it's about, what's the primary motif or image or theme or event of Hosea? Yes. Okay, Israel's unfaithful. Yes. Spice it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's about a guy that marries a prostitute. Okay, God, because God tells him to. He says, hey, see that hooker over there? Go marry her. Because, why? <laughs> because being your God is like being married to a whore. That is what Hosea is about. And I, and I mean it, and I'm stating it somewhat crassly because it is. There's a whole point of it, is the crassness of it. That's the, that's the point of Hosea. Okay, so what we want to know is can you, are you... Would you be able to do that with the 39 books of the Old Testament? Is it, as it used to be for all of us, it certainly was for me, like, I don't have any idea. Or is it beginning to be like, oh, 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 I recognize that street. I know what this thing is, okay? So what we'll do over the next few weeks, we're just going to fill this in. It's all going to be 30,000-foot view. We're not going to get into the weeds for any of it. It's, too, it's just too much. But if, if, if it becomes to you less, scary, less scary, less unknown, less overwhelming... And starts to become more and more familiar, then I think that you will find what I have found, which is that I'm more drawn into it. I hate doing things that I feel stupid about. Like, who likes that, right? But if we can drive back some of our stupidness and make this be like, oh, this is familiar, this is safe, I understand this. Then it begins to, like, give away its secrets. And that's really where we want to be. And so we all, we all move. Here, but here's where I want you to evaluate yourself. We all move from ignorance into knowledge with, with greater and greater exposure. And that's fine. In the same way that a baby doesn't know how to walk, nobody looks, a, nobody looks at a six-month-old and says, you can't walk? What's wrong with you? You're not supposed to be able to walk, right? They're six months old, right? And that's great, fine. But if you meet somebody who's 20 years old and they've never walked, then you're going to think, what, ha- what happened? What, how did it go off the rails? What happened? What happened? right? Same way, if you have been walking with Jesus for years and years and years, if you've known Him, you've been attending church, and you still don't know the answers to these questions, then it's just worthwhile for you to say, "Hmm, what happened? Did at some point did I did I kind of take on to myself like a I'm just a spectator? I'm just gonna walk. I'm gonna listen, but I'm never gonna actually get in and get my hands dirty and do it myself? Is there something that has interfered? And if so, if you can recognize what ha- what is it that, that's caused that five years later, twenty years later, thirty years later?" this box this book is as opaque to me as it was 30 years ago then maybe we can find a light switch and turn it on because it's filled with treasure that'll transform your life that's where we're trying to go okay all right now let's start with this big high high level and by the way there's a typo in this nehemiah is n-e-h-e not n-e-h-i so if you notice that bonus points for your spelling prowess okay the first, let's put a little bit of organizing principle to this first, and then we'll get into the details. So, the first five books are a group. Anybody know what what what, uni- what kind of unites Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Law. law is great. Good. There's a few ways we could phrase this. What are the first five? Law and what? Pentateuch. Okay, penta is like a pentagon. It means five. So, the first five books, the Pentateuch. Okay, it's the law, it's the Pentateuch. What else is it? It's the Torah. Very good. Another, another, one more descriptor. How, who wrote it? Moses. Moses. It's the books of Moses. Okay? So those first five books, you might just bracket those. This, this Pentateuch is very foundational. That thing. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch, Moses, the Torah. That's it. Okay? We'll, and we'll talk more about those. we might not get past that today. We'll see. Okay? Then, what's the next grouping, you guys? Where would you put boundaries for the next kind of logical chunk? Big chunk. History History books, Gary. That's right. Okay. So what we're going to get from this point on, you guys, so Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Samuel, Kings, Kings Chronicle, Chronicle, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. They're all narrative. They're all historical narrative. They're all. they're, They're not propositional. It's not like letters like Romans. It's not poetry like the Psalms. It's 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 action. It's Bible stories. All the Bible stories are pretty much. Going to be in that chunk. So, David and Goliath's going to be in there. You know, uh, all, all, the, all, the, all the play action is going to come out through all those things, okay? And we're watching the history of Israel. So, from, from Joshua down to Esther, you might just break that. That stuff's all the history, okay? What's the next grouping? It's five books. What's the next, what do we call the next five? <laughs> what is it? Poetry, right? And what are the five? <laughs> Yeah, Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Those are all poetic books. So poetry books are different. They're not historical narrative. Everything's flowery and metaphorical and all kinds of weird stuff going on there. Okay? So that's the poetry. It's great. Uh, Kelly? Say it again? Yes. Okay, so good. So the poetry, uh, and just like you could call the Pentateuch or the books of Moses or the The Torah, you could also call the poetry the books of wisdom or the wisdom literature. Same thing. Excellent. And then the next section, you might divide in half. If you don't divide it in half, what are they? The prophets. Okay, these are all these guys that did two things. They're going to foretell, which is to say they're going to make predictions. They do that. But far more of it, instead of prediction making, instead of foretelling, is what we would call forth-telling... It's not always like, hey, in the future this is going to happen. Sometimes it's like, hey, knock it off right now. Just stop it, okay? And so the prophets are full of this, uh, basically the language from God to people. They're a bunch of oracles. And it's probably the weirdest. Is that Phils okay to you guys? The prophets are the biggest freak show here, okay? And if we break the prophets down, you could divide them into two chunks. How, would we, how do you split the prophets in half? Major minor. Does not mean important unimportant, it simply means long and short, okay? So the first five are the majors, Um, even though one of them is short. We'll talk about that. And the last 12 are the minors. So you're going to go, your your majors are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Lamentations is short, but it was written by Jeremiah, and so it just kind of rides his coattails into the big leagues, okay? So from Isaiah to Daniel is the major prophets and then everything else. Hosea down to Malachi is all your minor prophets. All right? That's your basic organization, which doesn't make it any less opaque to you, I'm sure. But as you go through it, that might be helpful to kind of tra- trace it through. Okay? So far so good? Now let's, let's go back, and we'll just kind of take it in order. What's going on in Genesis? How would you guys, what's your, you know, you don't, you don't have much space. So what's your five or ten word summary of Genesis? <laughs> the beginning, It's great. Creation. Creation, fantastic. Patriarchs. Say it again. Patriarchs, Patriarchs very good. Uh, the covenants. Okay, it is, you guys, Genesis, you cannot underestimate the importance of Genesis. It's familiar because you know, what's Genesis 1-1? In the beginning. right? It could be a John 1 as well, but we're not. We're, in, we're, we're Genesis 1. It's helpful to perhaps remember, Genesis has four great events followed by four great people. Okay. What are the four great events of Genesis? Creation, fall, flood, and there's another event. The nations, yeah, Babel. Creation, fall, flood, Babel. That's these first 11 chapters. That's what's, what's happening in the world? The world is made, it is destroyed, um, or sin enters the world, and then it's destroyed, and then Babel is a kind of rebuilding. Creation, fall, flood, Babel, and then four primary people whose lives are traced for the second half of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Okay, that's, it, that's Genesis. Creation, fall, flood, Babel, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. That's a pretty good summary. It's the beginning of the whole thing. Okay, any of those events, you're going to find them in Genesis. This would be, it has to be, in the top five most important books of the Bible to know. If you could, if you could only just know a handful of books to get the major, major stuff, you have to include Genesis. because. Everything, it is the acorn from which the entire oak comes. Okay, so Genesis. What's exodus? About the exodus? Okay, it's about the Exodus, which is true. So can we do that in other words, though? What is it? It's the, the Jews being led out of Egypt. That's right. Okay, so at the very end of Genesis, they go into Egypt as a place of rescue, but then it turns into a place of slavery and Exodus is about getting them out of the land. So an Exodus is an exit. It's a journey. It's a trip. And so what are some of the major events that happen in Exodus in that book? What is it? Wandering, in the, wilderness. wandering in the wilderness. Yes. Although we might really focus on the wandering a little bit later. It, it's going to, it does begin there for sure, but it gets camped out on later. What are the, what are the big Bible stories in Exodus? God. The plagues. Am I sorry? Plagues. Yes. God, it's God, it's God, it's the river. What is it? Moses, Moses, okay. Moses, the baby in the basket, that's in there. Um, All the ten plagues, all that is in there. What about, what else? Parting of the Red Sea. Passover. Okay. These are big things. Lots of stuff goes on in Exodus as as the Egyptians leave. What is received in Exodus? The law meaning? The Ten Commandments, that's there. That's Exodus 20. So a lot of important things are going on in Exodus, right? So you just might capture Escape from Egypt, Ten Plagues, Moses, Ten Commandments. There's a lot of stuff going on in Exodus, okay? Genesis, Exodus. What do you guys, what do you guys put for numbers? Or wait, Leviticus goes next. What would you put for Leviticus? Law. Law. Nobody likes Leviticus, right? I mean, generally speaking, if you're doing, if you're doing a Through the Bible in a Year program... A lot of people make it to Leviticus, and then the wheels jam in the swamp, right? Have you, is this ha- who, who has stopped a, through the Bible in a program in Leviticus? It is like, it, you just, everything grinds to a halt, okay? Lots and lots about holiness, but it is, objectively, no. no. It's boring, okay? Because there's a lot of descriptions of things that you're like, I mean, do I really care, right? Now it's God's word; it's, it too is full of treasure. There's things in there about the year of jubilee that you'd never know about if you don't persevere through it. But um, it's different than reading John. Okay, it's just very, very different. But it's law holiness is God revealing things to the Israelites. Okay, how about Numbers? What is Numbers about? <laughs> oh. uh, wait, wait, okay, wait over here. What? Genealogy. Okay, that's true. You're going to get some of this. What was over here? In the wilderness. Okay. And mostly we would say, I would put, if you want to talk about uh, the time in the wilderness, Numbers is your book. Why do we call it Numbers? The yeah. census. There's a census. Where? To uh, the yeah. end. Yep. So it's the beginning and end. So it's called Numbers because in the beginning they count all the people and they roam around in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they count all the people again. So it's named after the bookends of these censuses they take. But in the middle, all the bit about the Israelites roaming around and following this pillar of cloud by day and this smoke or whatever. How that works. Cloud and smoke, running, following around the wilderness. That's all in numbers. So if you want to read about that, that's that's your go-to place. Okay? Yeah, Joyce? Because Israel refused to trust God and go into the promised land. That's exactly... That's exactly right. That's what sets that up. So where does that happen? Where is the Joshua and Caleb story? Okay, so what, what Joyce is referencing, do you guys know this story? God says, go take the land. It's yours. I've, I've laid it out before you. And they send out these spies to go check out the place. And like, Let's go see what it's going to be like. And they come back, and I think it's 12 spies, right? Am I wrong? 12 spies go, and 10 come back and say, abort. It's going to be horrible. They're huge. They're going to crush us. We're like bugs like grasshoppers. And then two are like, no, 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 you sissies. Let's do it. God is with us. And those guys are Joshua and Caleb. And the other ten, because they won't trust the Lord, because they won't do it, that's why they get doomed to roam around into the wilderness until every one of them is dead. And a whole generation is replaced. And now it's Joshua and Caleb and the children of the ten that are going to come into the land. You can read all that. That's all going down in Numbers. That's where the snake Yes. No. Yeah, so Catherine is saying, she's saying that's where the snake is. In John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with, with uh, uh, Nicodemus. And he says, Nicodemus, you know who I am? I'm the snake that got lifted up in the wilderness. And he's referencing Numbers 21, which is in this midst of, uh, there's a whole big event, what's going on. And the people are getting bit by snakes, and God says, make a snake, put it on a pole, look at the snake, and you'll be healed. And Jesus says, that's like me. I'm the snake that hasn't come to bite, but I'm the snake that's come to heal a rebellious people. That's Numbers, Numbers 21. You can read that. Okay, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. What's the last one? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Okay, what what is Deuteronomy about? And because it's just muddy to hear, just raise your hand real quick so we can can, can hear you better. Deuteronomy. Don? Fork in the road. Okay, fork in the road, meaning, uh, unpack that a little bit. Well, uh, basically it's it's Moses' last sermon before it, they decide whether they're going across that body of water That's or not. right. And uh, also an introduction of the new covenant for the very first time. In fact, the circumcision of the heart. Actually- Deuteronomy 30. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So so it's, it's a speech. So we've got this record of all these things and they get right to the edge. They're about to cross the river, the Jordan, not the Red Sea, across the Jordan River to go back in. And, and Moses says, everybody sit down. Everybody sit down and let's recap. Let me, let me remind you of all that has happened. And so it's kind of a, Deuteronomy is kind of a review of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers in the form of a speech that Moses gives. What does the word mean, Deuteronomy? Second law. Okay, so it's a redo, a, a, a duplicate of the law. So nomos, like antinomianism is anti-law. Deuteronomy duet is like, you know, a duet, two people, two things. So it's the second law. So the second telling, it's a review. So there's things that you can read back in Exodus 20, like the giving of the Ten Commandments, that you'll find in Deuteronomy 6. It's the same thing, okay? Because Moses is recapping all these things that have happened. So there's lots of places in Deuteronomy that point us back to Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Okay? So far, so good? Are they going to go in? What's going to happen? Moses gives a speech. And uh, there's all kinds of amazing things that happen in there, including, as Don was saying, it's one of the earliest pictures, maybe the earliest full sense of the, that there's a new covenant coming. There is a rule, there's a set of rules. You can't keep them, but the time is coming, declares the Lord, when everything will be made new. So, what we, you might be familiar with, Jeremiah 31 or, or Ezekiel 36, the precursor to that is Deuteronomy 30. And if you don't know what that means, we'll get there when we get there, okay? So, that's the Pentateuch, that's the Torah. Okay. Any other key things that you're like? Oh, but this is what's happening there that we want it, that would be important to know. Yeah, Tommy. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, six one of the talks about passing on to the children. I uh, thought that was especially important because it's not just how you live the law, but how are we passing? Yes, very much. And so Deuteronomy six contains famously what's called the Shema, which is where God basically says you know, write this on your foreheads, carry this, when you're walking down the street with your kids, do this, like, this is the, it's the hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, and he says, you've got to impress this upon your children all day long, while you're like, walking, in this, walking down the pathway, bring up a conversation with your kids. Deuteronomy 6 is a very central text. Okay. You got the Torah? You got the books of Moses? You got that all down? Okay. Then the history books, and it, history has already kind of started in Moses. What's our first history book? Josh. Josh. Uh, what is it, Joshua? Okay, there's too many muddled voices. What is Joshua about, you guys? The occupation, the occupation of the Promised Land. That was very current language you're using to describe that. But yeah, like they're coming into the Promised Land. And so, what, what's the what is the state of the Promised Land in the beginning of Joshua? Overrun by, yeah, by, by but they were kind of there first. In fairness, right? But it's it's filled with all these people. These People that are living wicked lives, and they're in the land. And God says, this is your land. And the very people that the 12 spies were afraid of, they're still there. It's been 40 years, but they haven't gone anywhere. And so now we've got to take the land. The, op- the opening, f- opening sentence, opening kind of chunk of Joshua is, Moses, my servant, is dead. He's led them forever. And now it's Joshua's turn to take the baton. It's a great book about leadership. As Joshua has got to be like, he's, he says to Joshua, what is God's exhortation to Joshua? Do you know this? Joshua 1 is famous. Be strong and Courageous. Be strong and courageous. Like Joshua's afraid. He just, he just became the leader of the people, a rebellious people. The guy that's run this thing that he had like a personal interaction with God is now, he's dead. Joshua, get it done. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And they got to go in. And it's a a book of military conquest as they take over the land. Okay? You say, but they didn't? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, they do it sometimes and sometimes not. Right? And so there's all kinds of stuff. The walls of Jericho come down in the book of Joshua. A lot of important things happen in the book of Joshua. Okay? And after Joshua, what's the next book? Okay, what do you know about judges, you guys? Give, raise some hands so we can hear this clear. Joshua, what do we got here? Stuart? They were the original sort of governors or, or leaders that took over. Yes. Yeah, to lead the so prior to the establishment of kind of like, kind of the rules of governance, before there were kings, there were these judges, which is a little more a little more haphazard, a little less organized. But these are the people that gave leadership to Israel During this time. And what was this time like in Judges? Okay, Joyce? Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's right. This is the refrain of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges is a disaster. Read it. You should just read it. Read it to your children, okay? A little cry. It is such a mess, okay? And it's a very cyclical book. They fall into this mess over and over and over and over and over again. This is a total train wreck. Um, and God will raise up a deliverer, and the people are happy. And then they get complacent. And then they rebel, and they fall into slavery, and they're miserable, and they cry out to God. And He sends them a deliverer, and they're happy, and they become complacent. And they, re- I mean, over and over. And over again. And then the last, the end of the book is a couple of like vignettes that is just really gross, just really disgusting and dark and rated R. It's just a really yucky book, okay? So that's the book of Judges. And the whole thing is to set up that we need a king because it doesn't, when we do what's right in our own eyes, it goes really badly, really, really, really badly. We need a king. That's essentially what what Judges is doing. Catherine? It's kind of like what we do. I mean, Wait, shut up about that. I don't want to... Just stop. (laughs) It's it's like our upward journey goes like that. That's right. That's it. I mean, and that's the whole point of the book is to show... When we watch the foolishness of their rebellion, we're supposed to be like, oh, I get it. It's about me, right? That's, That's exactly what's supposed to happen when you read a book like Judges. What can happen is we're like, look at those dirty sinners... But it's supposed to be an insight. It's supposed to give us insight into our own lives. Yeah, Kat. One of my favorite sayings is, if you can't be a good example, you can be a horrible warning. There you go. There you go. And that's what they are. If you can't be a good example, you can be a horrible warning. And Judges is filled with that. Okay. So we get Joshua. We get Judges. And then what? Ruth. Ruth. Okay. So what's Ruth? Kinsman oh, Redeemer. Okay. Kinsman Redeemer. Okay. But we got we to gotta zoom out a little bit. What's it about? Yeah, Ellen. love yeah, well, okay, what's, what, can you do it in two sentences? What's the story of Ruth? Uh, de- I, I say dedicated uh, daughter. Dedicated what? Okay, yes, da- daughter and, and mother. So, so basically there's a non-Jew, right, a Moabitess, who uh, links her life to, into the Jewish community. Right, She has no reason to be there, but she famously says, wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And she links her life to her mother-in-law, which is such an unusual thing. Her, What would you call her ex-mother-in-law? Whatever. And she waits for a new husband to come from this people. And this one who has no claim to the covenant promises of Israel gets drawn into it. Right? Her name is Ruth, which is why we named the book after her. Yep. Go ahead, John. And, uh, Ruth is uh, Jesus' hands. That's right, and so part of the story. This is what's so kind of interesting is that Jesus, what, what's going to become. We don't know it at the at the time of the story, of course. But Ruth is this faithful non Jew. He gets drawn into the family, but there's kind of some scandal involved. It's a. It's kind of a again. There's a lot of spiciness in the Bible, and she is going to become. I don't know. It is a great grandmother or something of. Of David. She, she, Jesus traces himself back to her. Jesus' lineage is filled with all these kind of unsavory women. It's really very, very fascinating that, that part of the story of the one who comes to redeem us all, that he's related to women, that people have tended to distance themselves from. Which I think is such tender news for us. Not only, not only Tamar and Ruth and, uh, and others along the way, but his very own mother, right? Right? was thought to be a woman of loose morals who got pregnant outside of wedlock. And he was raised by a woman who is the descendant of women, all of whom know what it's like to be treated with shame and scorn and distance. Which is probably why Jesus himself is so tender-hearted to women on the margins of society. It's why the, Why did the prostitutes love Jesus? Well, because Jesus was so kind to them. Why was he kind to them? Probably because he was... Raised by a woman who knew what it was like to be looked at sideways, who comes from a long line of such women, it, it's an astonishing act of grace as God sees the tenderness and the vulnerability of being scorned and thought dirty. It's really amazing. It goes all the way back here, back to and beyond even Ruth's story. Was there a hand here? Yeah. I was saying when I saw Josh McDowell, he wrote the book Evidence of Man's a Verdict. Yeah. I remember at one point, one of the, the things, he he was a, an atheist who, when he started college, was determined to disprove the validity of the Bible and Christianity, and, and by the time he was done, he was a minister and wrote this powerful book. That's right. all the evidence, one of the ones that was one of the most striking to me was the fact that if you were going to make all this up, you wouldn't have used. Especially the testimonies about Jesus and the witnessing accounts of, of women in the New Testament, but also back to that, your point there, that whole thread. Yes. You wouldn't do this. If you made it up, you, you wouldn't do that, especially in that culture. Absolutely. Well, and so in case you could, Stuart is saying how one of the evidence for the veracity of the gospel is that the story includes some very. Um, uh, some uh, yeah unsavory details that if you were making this up you would clean it up a little bit, you know you would make yourself look better than what we what we do. The testimony of a woman was not that. That's right. And so there's so much so interesting. There's so much that honors women throughout the gospel stories that is very countercultural, very very much. And the, we which means they were included. Number one because it's just what happened. It's just true. This is how the story played out, like it or not. This is what the story was. But also I think to give lift and affirmation. To the women that would otherwise be just you know ignored and, and downtrodden, so it's very it's a very compelling history that God's love for men and women has been fixed throughout throughout time. Even in cultures that were too selfish and wicked to see that God made us male and female in His image. So there's good things happening there. All right, so we got jo- we got the books of Moses, we got Joshua, Judges, we got Ruth. What's next? Okay, now you need get the ones and two books, right? You get 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. They kind of form a block, and maybe we'll try to get through this before we stop today. So what do you know? So, they're all, so I'll tell you about this. In a, in a word, what are these books about? Kings. Mm, kings. that's good. I would say kings. They're about the monarchy. So there's a period in Israel's history. Prior to this, in Ruth, Joshua, Judges, there were no kings. There was no monarchy. The monarchy. The, the governmental structure hadn't been established. The monarchy is throughout 1 Second Samuel, 1 Second Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Okay? The monarchy comes to an end at the end of 2 Chronicles or 2 Kings. It begins in essentially 1 Samuel. So this whole, if you ever want to read a story about anybody who was ever king of Israel, it's going to be right in here. This is where it is. But they split up in different ways. Okay? So what is 1 Samuel about? Can you give me one name for who it's about? Saul. Saul. Okay, so Saul is the first king. You're gonna get three kings in Israel's history when the nation is united before it's gonna split, that's coming. But the first three kings are who are the three? Saul? David. Okay. First Samuel is about Saul. Saul, David, and Solomon. First Samuel is gonna be about Saul, although David's gonna enter the scene there, but not really his king. Second Samuel, for the most part, David. Okay, most of the stuff that you're gonna read about David's life. Is going to be in Second Samuel, and then Solomon kind of comes at the end of Second Samuel, going into the beginning of First Kings. Okay, so if you want to get Saul, and there's overlap, right? But First Samuel is about Saul, Second Samuel is about David, and then Solomon shows up in Kings. Essentially, again, there's a little bit of overlap here. Um, Solomon's going to show up in Kings, and then there's going to be, basically be a split, and the nation's going to divide. And throughout First Kings and Second Kings, you're going to get Maybe second only to Judges, the messy, messy time in Israel. Okay? So give me a story from 1 Samuel, you guys. What happens in there? You get any Saul stories in your brain? Sarah Lynn? Say like Hannah, like, um, and yes. she wasn't going to offer Yes, yeah, so, so this is Samuel himself. So Samuel has a mom named Hannah. Um, and so she's going to have this baby. He's going to get raised by Eli. This is all, if you ever know any of that story, and then Samuel's going to become like a, basically a priest while these guys are being kings. So that's in, that's in there. Very good. How about 2 Samuel? What's the, what's the story in 2 Samuel? John? David has, David has. Okay, the David Bathsheba story. That's going to be 2 Samuel. Very good. Going to Jesus that's right. That's right. So Jesus is also the, the result of this relationship between David and Bathsheba, which is this adulterous whole train wreck that ruins David's kingship. But from him is going to come the line from which Jesus comes. Okay, that's all Second Samuel. Now, when you get into First and Second Kings, what na- what are the two nations now that you're going to find in First and Second Kings? Judah, and Israel. Judah and Israel. Okay, this is this is this might be, just help you to get an organizing principle here to this. Okay, when the nation splits, it splits in half. Mm, but not exactly geographically half. The ten northern tribes keep the name. They, they maintain the name of Israel. The two southern tribes, they take the name. What, what do they become called? Judah. Judah, which is one of the tribes. And, but they keep the promise. Judah, so it's like Judah, the smaller one, has Judah. This is where the Messiah is going to come from. So the northern tribes keep the name Israel. The southern tribes, they keep the promise. And we're going to follow their kings on a dual track. And what you find is that every single king of Israel is wicked. They all are just terrible. And then the, under the southern tribes, they're almost all entirely awful. Most are bad. There's a couple good guys. Okay? So it's all bad. It's like 19 all bad. And then 18 of 20 are bad in Judah, something like that. Okay? And if you want to follow their story, you're going to get both Israel and Judah, both the north and the south, are going to walk, you're going to walk you through First and Second Kings. And then it gets confusing. So stay with me. You ready? 1 Samuel... S- about who? 2 Samuel's about who? 1 Kings about who? And Israel and Judah and the split that c- carries on through 2 Kings. Okay, that's great. We could stop right there. But then we're going to get a redux. In the same way that Deuteronomy is going to be a replay of what happened here, 1 and 2 Chronicles are a replay. Does anybody know how 1 and 2 Chronicles work relative to all these other monarchy books? Do you know? You got it? One's like the official record, kind of so it's a little cleaned up, and the other's like one's just, just the back, so the other. Okay, so the, yeah, there's some differences. So some of the language is going to be identical, right? So some of it you're like, okay, you're clearly copying off somebody's paper here, right? But there are going to be a couple other distinctions about how they, how they organize their stuff. Blendy? Um, Does the chronicles mainly focus on Israel instead of Israel and Judah? Ver- reverse. Yes, reverse. So the King books, 1st and 2nd Kings, are about both nations, and they're an explanation for why they got their butts kicked. This is how bad they were. This is why Assyria blew them up. This is how bad Judah was. This is why Babylon blew them up. Okay? But Chronicles is written only about Judah. You're only getting the southern half. And what it's writing to explain is why they got to go back into the land. Why God is not done with them. And so it's a more hopeful book. You see their badness, but you also see more of what happens when people repent. So, whereas Kings will show you the kings of Israel and Judah screwing things up, Chronicles will only will show you only Judah, and it'll show you Judah screwing up and then how God restores them when they repent. Make sense? Okay, John? Uh, the first eleven chapters of First Chronicles are not a whole lot of fun in the Bible program. Yes, okay. And so actually the truth is, throughout all of these books, you're gonna find like the things that are like man this is tedious okay when you get to the tedious stuff here's my recommendation don't stop just skim okay skim ahead. I mean it's okay just skim ahead and get back get back to the things that are going to be better especially as you're beginning this journey now this might help you first chronicles summarizes one book second chronicles summarizes two books okay so first chronicles overlays second samuel with david's book 2 Chronicles overlays both both of the kings. So if you go through them, you read them all, you'll be like, oh, this this you'll see how they map. So 1 Chronicles summarizes one book, 2 Chronicles summarizes two books. 1 Chronicles summarizes Samuel, 2 Samuel, David's book. 2 Chronicles is gonna summarize both of the kings. But uniquely from the perspective of this is what happens when a people repent. So far, so good. And Ezra and Nehemiah, we're gonna do this really, really quick. Ezra is about rebuilding what? Temple. Nehemiah is about rebuilding what? The wall. The wall. And Nehemiah is spelled wrong, okay? If you read the, if, if that'll give you the, that gets you all the way through the history, and then next week we'll work on the poetry and the and the prophets. Got it? Now, my encouragement to you before we leave, you've got to go to church, is finish the sheet. What can you fill in about the Psalms? What can, Do you know, is Isaiah more clear to you than maybe, you know, Habakkuk or something? So, Figure out, fill in what you can, and then we'll try, to, we'll try to unpack it all next week. All right. Thank you for coming. That's all. <laughs>